Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. It's only been a week, yeah. so we don't have a whole glut of stuff to get through like we did last week, mm-hmm. um, but we're just going to get started anyway, Yeah, because there's no you know, no use in pussyfooting here. That's no right. In- and as uh, I will say, as people uh, pointed out to me, so last week I talked about the, the movie... Uh, too funny to fail about the Dana Carvey show, but I was under the impression that it was not available. Uh, it is on Hulu, understandably so. The Dana Carvey the, show, the Dana Carvey show, and the movie are both available on yeah. Hulu. A couple people, um, yeah, a number of people reached out to us, yeah, uh, which is good because yeah, I didn't know that, and I need to go back and watch all. Yeah, of I it. watched the first episode. Yeah, um, uh, which I now like having watched, like seeing that cold open with. Um, uh, Bill Clinton with all the nipples. Yeah, uh, I remember that. I remember being like more weirded out than anything by it. Yeah, uh, which is still kind of true. Um, but the one, the one thing that really stuck because it was you know <coughs> with that premiered in like the fall I, of '96. I think so. Yeah. So it's in the middle of like you know the '96 presidential election. So yeah, like half the jokes are about it. One thing that really stood out: there were so many jokes about how old Bob Dole is in that yeah. episode, which is 22 years ago, and Bob Dole is still alive. Oh yeah. Uh, so those, I guess, those jokes, no pun intended, haven't aged well. There you go. Yeah, that's true. He looks like a spring chicken uh, back then. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now let's just start about. Let's just talk about the movies we saw. Okay. And I am so excited to tell people about this movie. It comes out next week, at least in in Los Angeles and I think New York. Uh, I, I saw a a Spanish movie called Summer 1993. Okay, that is it blew my mind. It's it's so so wonderful. It's um it made me it reminded me a lot of the Florida Project in certain mm. ways, and that so much of the movie is taken up with just the director letting kids be kids. Mm. Um, the the story is, and from what I've learned, it's it's somewhat autobiographical by the director her name is Carla Simon not Carly Simon but Carla mm, Simon less interesting um, and it's probably not pronounced Simon uh, it's probably Simone or something like that sure um, anyway uh, so it's about a girl whose parents die she's um, pretty young I'm not good at kids ages I'm gonna say nine but she could be could 12 be she could be six I don't 25. know 25 <laughs> I'm really bad at kids ages um uh, yeah, that came up at work where I had to know for one of like the shows, uh, that we we're working on. I had to know if someone was like, cause they're hiring actors to dub it in another language. And they were like, Hey, we need to know how many kids are in this series and how old they are. And I had to like go to my boss who has kids and be like, is, is this girl 12 or 15? <laughs> like to me, it, I have no idea. Um, anyway, uh, no. So, um, a girl, her parents die, and she lives in. She lived in Barcelona. Her parents die. She is, moves out to live with her uh, aunt and uncle and their younger daughter, who's probably like four or five, uh, out in the countryside. Um, and yeah, so much of the movie is just is is just it's it's an incredibly patient way of making a film in that uh, you don't feel the director pushing things along or the screenplay pushing things along at all. It just seems like almost like home movies early on. Um, not home movies, the Brendan small, uh, adult yeah, swim yeah. Uh, series, but almost like little literal home movies, uh, of, of just this family being. And then you, you know, you, you only, you know, there's, 
what is technically exposition, but you only learn gradually from context how her parents died and, you know, how she, how, what her life might have been like, uh, because you see, um, she and the younger girl play, uh, just like play house. And so mm-hmm. the older girl is pretending to be the mom. And her idea of being the mom is to lay around and complain that her head hurts and smoke cigarettes and make the other girl go and get her things to eat and yeah. stuff. So you get an idea of what her home life was, but also some more like sad stuff about like how her parents died. Uh, and you get the impression of this, you sort of start to realize that this girl because she doesn't entirely understand what we are picking up on how her parents died. Cause she's mm-hmm. too young to understand the context. Um, you see that she's clearly processing a lot of pain <coughs> and grief and doesn't have the sophistication or vocabulary or experience to process it in a healthy way. And she's becoming an incredibly angry girl. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's a lot of, I think, the movie sort of, um, I think in, introduces the idea that she might be a danger to herself or to her younger now, you know, steps to her mm. younger cousin, but essentially sister. Um, uh, but again, the movie really takes a patient tack and, uh, and lets these things unfold very naturally. Uh, and, and it, yeah, it, it really is just an, an incredible, uh, example of a movie that is technically storytelling, but doesn't feel like it. Do you know what I mean? It, it, there's, there's so much, I think the more as someone who watches, I don't know, hundreds, literally hundreds of movies a year, you know, certain things become more grating to me, which is the way that, uh, the way that, that movies sort of, uh, contrive things and yeah. move stories along. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm always immediately, uh, sensitive to, you know, this is, you know, that's a manipulation or that this character is only exists for exposition. This dialogue is, yeah. uh, you know, m- does not fit into the yeah. world. And so to see a movie where in which Carlos Simon is telling us a story that has a clear ending and an unbelievably moving, like, uh, um, there's two types. Of, okay, I'll get back to this. I don't believe in moving resolution to the story, but also it never feels like it's telling you a story at any point. Mm-hmm. Um, you were going to say something, and I have something to say. Just that um, I've been doing uh, a bit more uh, script consulting lately, and uh, for the most part, they've been pretty good. Um, but just it's a it's such a common thing, and I'm sure back when I would write stuff back in school, I, it was the same for me. But as you're reading through, there's it doesn't happen every time, but it happens regularly. Sometimes it happens several times in a script uh, where you're just like, wow, it's a good thing somebody worded that exactly that way <laughs> because yeah. there is no movie if they don't use that exact word. Yeah. And it's yeah. just like, oh, man, it's you got to find another way around it. Like, but, it happens. That, that kind of thing can happen in life. But, you know... It's weird in in film. You actually have to be a bit more economical, uh, or, or it's. I feel like we we actually are more inclined to sp- suspend our disbelief in life because, like, well, it happened. Here it is. It mm-hmm. happened. But in in film, 
because everything just has to move along and everything has been stripped away, then if some, then if something comes along that seems really convenient, we are, that is how we will look at it for the most yeah. part. I'm reminded of the, uh, season seven Archer episode where the, uh, the actress is setting up her alibi after having murdered her husband. And she's like, Oh, would you look at that? It's almost exactly 3 PM and I have to be in hair and makeup at three. And it's almost exactly the stroke of three. <laughs> 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 I don't know if you ever saw that. I, I don't think I did. Uh, that's a later. That's a season seven one. Yeah. So um, it's anyway. one of the things that uh, did you ever? You never saw the King's Speech, correct? Uh, no, I never did. There's a lot of good stuff about that movie, but there's a huge scene. It, it made its way into the trailer. It is a pivotal emotional moment, and Jeffrey Rush is like he's kind of just taking jabs at the king, trying to like wind him up. And one of the things he says, you know, why should I listen to you? Uh, and then like Colin Firth yells because I have a voice, you know, and, and then, you know, and it's, it, it culminates, it's like constant noise and then that happens and, and Colin Firth sells it. Oh, good. Uh, and then Jeffrey Rush like calms down. He says, yes, you do. And cause he's, he's winding him up for like uh, the coronation or whatever. Right. Um, and I remember being like, who would ever say because I have a voice? Much less yeah, the king was, of England. That was my question. Was that, is there context where they're talking about voice? No. A, okay. Yeah, it does seem awkward then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, I guess I was right to skip that one. I mean, it's, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of good in that movie. And there's a lot of good writing in that movie. But that moment, which is supposed to be... It's, it, it's underlined even more because it's supposed to be this big pivotal emotional moment. And it rang so false to me. Cause like no one would ever say that yeah. ever, unless of course they were debating whether or not, Hey, do you have a voice? I do. <laughs> and then that's how it would work, uh-huh. you know? So it's uh, anyway, sorry. Uh, uh, we can move on. No, the other thing I wanted to say about summer 1983 and, uh, and certain movies in general. So I'm uh, a fair, uh, a very easy cry at movies. That's true. Um, uh, it's a little bit harder for me to cry in real life. <laughs> Obviously, you know, you know, I, death and stuff like that get you know sure. gets me. But uh, I, I, I'm a pretty easy cry in movies. But there's two different kinds. I mean, there's many different kinds, but I can separate them into different camps. One that's more common where I'm reacting to something that is happening on screen at that moment. Sure. And, you know, and that happens a lot. Um, last week we talked about um, Science Fair and uh, Won't, you be my, Won't You Be My Neighbor, two, two documentaries that I repeatedly teared up at things that moved me. But then there's another kind of experience that you can have uh, with a movie or with a say a graphic novel memoir like spinning, which I talked about a ton last year by Mm -hmm. Tilly Walden, where you almost don't realize how emotional you are until it ends. And then there's a release. Mm -hmm. And that's what I had with summer 1993 is I didn't quite realize how swelled up I had become about things. And the second, the literally the second the credits started, I started crying. Like Mm -hmm. after the movie was over, uh, I'd needed that release. And that's exactly the, the experience that I had reading the Tilly Walden graphic memoir spinning, which I will still recommend to anyone uh, who hasn't checked it out after me having recommended it many times. Uh, last year. All okay. right. Moving on. Still me for now. Oh, okay. So next up, uh, I mean, if you're looking at my, my letterbox diary, we're going from a five star to a one star here. It's fun to um, hear the change in your voice. Like, because you don't know what's coming. Yeah. And then you go, okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> it just, it drops immediately. So I saw a movie, uh, that's coming out soon. Um, 
great cast starring uh, Vera Farmiga and Christopher Plummer. Uh, so far, and also has Kristen Shaw uh-huh. in it and Bobby Cannavale and a uh, small but funny turn from Dolly Wells, if you know who that is. Um, mm. She's a British actress. She's very funny. But unfortunately, the movie is just dreadful. Uh, it's called Boundaries and it's uh, the almost the, the quintessential. We did a whole episode a while ago on like sort of quirky like indie light type movies yeah. this is like the quintessential like it's a road trip movie so uh vera formiga formiga plays a, a middle-aged woman who has a she's a single mother to a a um eccentric uh son i was gonna ask if it were if her kid i didn't know if it was a son or daughter yeah. at the time it was quirky oh he's very very quirky okay. um and her estranged father played by Christopher Plummer gets kicked out of his retirement (laughs) community for selling pot. And she doesn't want to take him in. So Kristen Shaw, the younger sister down in Los Angeles says, I'll take him in, but they have to drive him from, uh, I think Seattle. Yeah. Seattle to Los Angeles. I assume it goes fine. Uh, no, they make many stops along the way, including an early one, uh, well, this is another cast member I forgot to mention. Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. Hey. And he's great. He All plays right. um, a fellow sort of like, you know, uh, lovable old criminal. He's an art forger. <laughs> I like the specificity of that. <laughs> yeah. So they they go hang out with him. They stop uh, in, uh, and see Bobby Cannavale, who plays the kid's uh, dad, Fair from, I guess, ex-husband. Um and then, yeah, they obviously they learn some lessons. They have some uh, brushes with the law. <laughs> you know, there's obviously one or two big cathartic blow up arguments. Uh, it's it's a it's a very by the numbers uh, wow. version of this this type of movie. Unfortunately, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, awful. I mean, it's like there are moments when I could sort of forget because like I said, it's a great cast. And so sometimes there are some moments where it's just the cast, like playing off each other in little scenes. Um, or really actually I, uh, uh, it almost drew me in because I think the initial setup of, in the specificity, um, of Vera Farmiga's life, uh, in her relationship with her son, um, which, uh, in retrospect is part of the quirkiness, you know, they're more friends than anything. And, uh, she, um, collects stray animals. She can't stop rescuing stray dogs and cats. So she has a home full of dogs and cats. Um, in retrospect, all these things are just like, a whole, you know, part of the equation. But in the early, yeah. like 10 minutes or so of the movie, I was buying it from Vera from my Well, yeah, absolutely. Uh, but the, uh, you know, the more it, it slipped into these tropes, the more I came to recognize them as such. And then was just kind of counting the minutes until it was all over. <laughs> Boy, oh boy. <laughs> what f- <clears throat> it really fascinates me that that movies like that still get made, and I don't mean from a studio level, but that somebody writes them. Yeah, and it's, does, it's does an it independent re- movie. It was picked up by Sony Pictures Classics and okay. will be distributed by them. Uh, yeah. Does it bring anything new to this? Uh, no, I mean, uh, yeah, no, it doesn't. I mean, it, yeah, it just, maybe it rearranges some of the, um, it's sort of a, um, 
uh, I would say it's like a broke ass Royal Tenenbaums meets Little Miss Sunshine where Alan Arkin is the main character. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That's kind of the, uh, the, the, the equation there. Boy. Um, and I guess, yeah, obviously, when I mention Royal Tenenbaums, I'm talking specifically about the patriarch's, you know, right. strange relationship to his uh, adult adult, adult uh, children. Yeah. Um, and the fact that he's, a, you know, a scammer and a scoundrel. Uh, Miss Sunshine has such a good cast, too. And, indiv- and, like, the performances are all good. I yeah. think Greg Kinnear especially, like, does great work. But just, like, man... Yeah, I don't know what it is that draws people to 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 these movies. You and I took a road movies class. I didn't take that class. Oh, okay, I, I did. Class. Okay, I think I've seen most of the movies. Would you What did you see in that? I know you saw Two Lane Blacktop. Yeah, which Midnight is Run. Uh, Midnight Run's great, great. Movie. Um, others. <laughs> I don't remember. I don't remember okay. the other ones, but uh, all right. Uh, and then moving on, the next thing I don't have that much to say about it. This was still part the of straight the straight story. Uh, no. Uh, uh, oh, that's. A, I thought you were asking me if I was going to be talking about the straight oh. story. It's a um, that's a weird thing for me to go to, but yes. Yeah. Um. So this is still part of. I've been doing it for the past couple months. Uh, Blu-ray spring spring cleaning. Still all the Blu-rays that I have to watch and review in the summer now. Um. It is not summer. Okay. Um. It's summer doesn't start till late June. June first, uh, a Absolutely. and b. It's still like it hasn't been air conditioning weather. It's still like windows up weather when I drive to work in the morning. I know it's great. Uh, yeah, I hope it stays this way all summer. Yeah, <laughs> um, it won't. We'll get a, a heat wave at some point. No, okay. I watched a 1958, uh, I guess, crime movie uh, called "The Man Who Died Twice." It's a great title. Mm. Um, kind of a an underwhelming movie. The premise is that a uh, um, <coughs> a nightclub owner. Um, uh, who is also uh, moving vast amounts of vast vast amounts of heroin through his nightclub? Uh, dies in a car accident. Uh, at the same time, his estranged brother happens to have come to visit him. Uh, so his brother finds out that the guy died when he gets into town. Uh, his brother is a cop or a detective from the city, so he stays on with the local police force to investigate his mm-hmm. his brother's uh, death um, and sort of starts to woo his brother's wife, who's the, like, cabaret singer at the nightclub, uh, and then has to contend with the bartender at the nightclub who thinks that he's next in line to move up and take over the heroin operation. Okay. Um, Sounds great. Got, yeah, it's, there's a lot of great uh, uh, ingredients. You also got the... Uh, I guess the mob boss or whoever supplies the heroin has uh, sent two heavies to go retrieve the remaining heroin that remains unsold after this guy had died. Uh, and they are, uh, um, they're the best part of the movie because they're, they, they felt like a more modern uh, version of hitmen and that they're like, uh, they have their personalities and some almost like sympathetic mm-hmm. traits but are also incredibly sadistic. Yeah. Um, like killing people they don't need to kill just because they like killing people. But then also the one guy is like, uh, having marital problems. So he keeps like in the middle of like, Hey, we got to go whack this guy. He's like, let me call my wife and see if she's home. Cause he's like paranoid yeah. that his wife's never home. And when he calls, ah. um, so there's, a, there's, there's a lot of great little like spice to this movie, but I think it's, 
the dialogue is really wooden and, and choppy. Um, and also it has the thing of like, you know, I guess back. Okay. This is going to be a long road to get there. Okay. You know how people talk about like we're in the golden age of superhero movies, much like there was a golden age of Westerns. Sure. That's a thing that uh, has come up multiple times. Um, and what I was the golden age, age of Westerns? I don't know. Um, 40s, 50s? I, I, I don't know. Okay, really don't sorry. Know. Go on. Um, but uh, I think there are arguments for and against that line of thinking. But one of the main arguments against it is that uh, the nature of film production has changed to this to the extent that we're not seeing anywhere near the number of superhero movies that we did westerns like there were right. uh one thing i read said at its height the studios were putting out like more than on an average of more than a dozen westerns a month because they because you'd have you had your a pictures and then yeah. b pictures they would just like churn them out yeah and so i think this is one of those the crime version of that one of those crime b pictures and what happens sometimes with some of those i think is that it's just there to sort of you know i mean there's the 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 elements that i mentioned there that are fun but in terms of the story it like you know introduces this intriguing story mm-hmm. it has some twists twists and turns and then it has the revelation and then the credits roll and it's, it seems like weirdly like perfunctory almost mm. is what i'm what i'm getting at yeah. uh and then that the movie i mean normally you and i celebrate movies being short this movie is 70 minutes long and it's one of the few where i felt like it could have gone a little longer like maybe we could have gotten some more of like what the duplicity going on here right. like what effect it has <laughs> on on these characters or how they're gonna move on yeah going forward you know um it's just like it, it introduces a bunch of different elements and then it kind of brings them together, but only in only to the extent that it can come to a stopping point. Not right. I wanted something more by the end is what I'm saying. Well, and yes, you and I like movies that are shorter, but what, what we're really saying when we say that is that we like movies that are able to accomplish right. what yeah, they yeah. want to or what they need to in a, in an economical uh, economic amount of time. Yeah. Um, okay. But yeah, if it's so, cut short, that's different. To recap, because I feel like listeners have said that we don't say the name of the movie enough okay. when we do the journals. So the, the three movies I just talked about were Summer 1993, which is okay. great, Boundaries, which was terrible, and The Man Who Died Twice, uh, which was just okay. Okay. All right. I saw Deadpool 2. This is the only movie that I saw this week because I've been busy watching a lot of TV, which I'll get to later. Okay. Um, <clears throat> And uh, so I'll lead off with a story about the screening itself. Where was it? It was at the AMC Century City 15. Sure. Uh, so that it was, mall. I don't know how often you used to go there, but it's... It's completely different now. Uh, yeah, it's completely different. Because I used to it's work... It's kind of awesome. I used to work like across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there all the time. And now I go to basically I go when there's press screenings there that I go to, which is, uh, every couple months. Yeah. And so it just seems like every time I show up, it's, it's different. And now there's, there used to be like a, there was the food court, maybe one or two restaurants. Yeah. Now there's like, it feels like it's half restaurants and half yeah, stores now. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of great, you've got a Javier's, which is a really high end mm-hmm. expensive Mexican place. You've got uh, Petros, which is a Greek 
restaurant that uh, there's one up in Solvang that Natalie and I uh, enjoy. Um, I really enjoy this. I when there's a screening now at the Century City, I'm like, I'm gonna get there early and like go uh, to you know to the bar or one of these restaurants. I have yes, that's true. I actually have not gotten there uh, early enough to really like survey the changes to the mall. Uh, I will say one thing that has not changed is my confusion over. Where am I going to end up uh, when I when I leave that parking structure? Like it's like, oh, I guess I'm by Nordstrom's today. Oh, I guess I'm inside Bloomingdale's. Like it's uh, it's it's crazy to me. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you really can't um, uh, can't plan it. So okay, uh, but yeah, uh, this was a situation where uh, it was a plus one, and so I brought uh, our friend Joel. And oh. uh, it was uh, a lot of fun. They had an overflow theater, uh, so it was very, uh, very busy. So we went to the overthrow theater. And so we're sitting, we're all waiting. And there's a guy who, in retrospect, and I don't say this insultingly, might have been on the spectrum. Might have been. Okay. <laughs> Hard to know. Again, I say this very much in retrospect and with a fair amount of regret. So, Uh um, but, uh, so he came in and just, and he's at, he, I, I assume he's the plus one. Um, and so just, I don't know for reasons that I'll talk about in a moment. And he's calling for like the person that he's meeting and he just like, he gets there. And whereas most of us would, get there and just survey the theater and see if we see the person the moment he gets in he's like david david (laughs) and just like walks down that david and then he finds david um and then sits down with him and then the movie starts and within the first couple minutes like he has a very obnoxious laugh that's all right yeah people People can't can't people can't help how they laugh and he starts saying stuff and it just like, oh my god! And that's how he sounded. Uh-huh. So I was like, I think there might be. I, it occurred to me, I was like, I think there might be something, yeah, wrong. But then he's saying stuff that's like much more coherent and much more related to that to, uh-huh. to what's happening on screen, and it is distracting me. Um, and it's distracting a lot of other people based on the deep sighs that I was hearing. Uh, I probably should have started with, can you please be quiet? Yeah, you got to start polite. Right. You've had a problem with this in the past. <laughs> right. Here's how I started. I will move the mic away from me. Okay. Shut the fuck up. Uh, All right. Uh, now, <clears throat> uh, you I would feel bad. I would feel bad about that if people had not come up after and thanked me for saying that. Uh, but the thing is, and the and the thing that had occurred to me was like what if there is something wrong with this guy? And then I thought if there's something wrong with him, then screw the person that brought him. I hate to say it, but Uh, I disagree. If that, it is a critic. This is a critic screening. We all have reasons to be there. Uh huh. And I'm not there to review my own level of distraction. I'm there to review the movie that is playing. Uh, I don't know. I mean, if there's something I should have started nice and it probably would have done the trick, but in, I still think there's nothing wrong with bringing someone to a movie theater. We all have to learn to live in public spaces with other people and other people sometimes have. Now when you say public space, do you mean one where people have to go and do their job? 
Um, well, that would be a private space, I guess, uh, unless you work for the government. And technically, yeah, movie theater is not a public space because it's not publicly owned. Right. Um, if, I, if this if this were a screening that I pay, well, I mean, and obviously I paid to go, so that's different. But like, if this were a public screening in which I was paying to go. That, I think, is a full-on public space, and I get it. But this is, like, we do have... We all, we're not merely there to enjoy the movie, or not. Mm-hmm. We are there with a very specific purpose, and if, if there are distractions, then that is keeping us from our purpose. And so that's the thing that, uh, that gets me. I don't know. I think... I, I... I think if it's that clear that the person uh, or if it's even a possibility that the person is not being inconsiderate, but is right, you know, vocalizing because of their mental whatever. Yeah. uh, They did stop right after, but that could mean any number of things. Yeah, it could mean that you uh, that you frighten them. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, yes. That's true. I frightened uh, myself because like that was louder than it needed to be. Yeah. Um, um, I should have started with, "I'm sorry. Can you please be quiet?" Yeah, is that? Yeah, I, I, know, I know what I would have done, which is, which is nothing. <laughs> right, and that's, and that's uh, I would have just <laughs> said, "I guess this is part of my experience now." Yeah, and and gone on with it, and I. Uh, and part of me feels like I am uh, willing to go along with it enough mm-hmm. in life that, like, I have something I need to do here, and this is going to keep me. And yeah, I guess I could try to tune it out, except I can't tune it out. Yeah, I mean, you can't tune it out, but you can. I don't I know. Even weave feel it into the tap- tapestry of the experience. <laughs> like this movie was really annoying, <laughs> um, but uh, which speaks to that article that I wanted that I wanted to write years ago. Oh, yeah, which yeah. I still might be able to, but I don't think I have the chops for it. Honestly. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, so that was my story. I feel really bad about it. Yeah. People like I was going to say listeners weigh in, but I'm not sure you would want listeners to no, weigh in. No, not necessarily. And I do regret that like there might have been a situation. There might have been a, a thing wrong with him in which case I still I still would have said something, but I would have led with like I'm sorry, but can you please? You know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Um I think I've I don't think I've said anything to anyone in a theater since Scott Pilgrim Okay, well, uh, I, and I don't think I remember what you said. I think I told, I told this story because I became my dad for a second <laughs> because there were teenagers behind us who were oh. talking, and I turned around and I went, "Hey, knock it off." That's okay. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All you got to do is dad. say, "Not that this is your dad," but like, "Hey, fellas," you know. <laughs> no, yeah, my dad never would have yeah. said that. Uh, my dad would have said like, "Hey, you little shits," or there something you, like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I said, "Hey, knock it off," and they knocked it off. Um, yeah. But I think I've, as I've gotten older, I've just realized like. This is uh, this is a small annoyance. Movies are important to me, but I can still enjoy the movie if someone is checking their phone, if someone's having a conversation. If some, like, I'm fine with it. I've, I've learned I, to tune out phones, like uh, the like the bright light and all that kind of thing. Um, I mean, I'm not it, it fine happens. with. I'm not fine with people. I should because I said if I'm fine with it, and I realized that sounds like I'm condoning it, which right. is not that. But what I've realized is like. I've gotten to a point where I'm not going to uh, let it ruin things for me. Yeah, and in in life, 
I've kind of gotten used to it. Like just in, if I'm just going to a movie or something like that, I've gotten used to it. And if it gets to the point where I can't deal with it, I leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't want, I, I couldn't leave this one. Mm-hmm. And so that was the thing. So, well, I think m- the thing I regret was my tone, not yeah. saying something. Um, um, no, I mean, this is very, I, have you ever told the other story on the podcast? Cause then you didn't want to for I a told while. It on more than one lesson. Okay. Cause the other one, you were more justified cause they were clearly being yeah. intentionally inconsiderate. Yeah. And um, my plan for confrontation is not how it worked out because at the last minute I was, uh, something showed up in me. Okay. So uh, can I tell the story? <laughs> Wait, which story? Is uh, this the Avengers one? Yeah, the Avengers one. Yeah, all right. Uh, is the other one when you were with your friends? I'm not going to tell that one. Which one is that? Uh, this one. Oh, uh, yeah, that. Okay. I'm not going to tell that one. Um, <laughs> that I did to a friend. Yeah. Um, okay. Anyway, I'll tell the Avengers story. All right. Which, it's my second time seeing it. Uh, Jen's first. Jen's first time. And there were some kids in the theater talking. Like not only four, talking to like each 14, other. 14, 15. Yeah teenagers talking not only to each other but talking on their phones texting standing up and looking around climbing over seats climbing over seats um just like kids who think they're i was like this as a teenager too you go out in the world and you think this is my playground and uh i'm gonna do whatever the fuck i want um i guess so uh, and uh, no, it's not, not that it's okay. They need to be uh, talked to. So I just don't know if I if I thought that way. Um, I guess we probably all did in some way. Uh, so Tyler decided he was going to walk down to the front of the theater to where they were and tell them sternly, but you know, firmly but gently, you need to stop. Hey fellas. Hey fellas. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you got there and you saw what did you see? So so they were all just like. They were doing all this stuff. And then I got there and they were all just like looking at their phones and playing some th- stuff on their phones. And I was like, yeah, I mean, obvious. it's, it's not as though, I mean, obviously they w- didn't care much about the movie, but in that moment, it's like, you, you don't even need to be here. Yeah. So You're, something in Tyler snapped, snapped and he said, Hey, shut the fuck up or leave <laughs> or leave. Okay. I didn't yeah. know that part. And by the time you got to, or leave, Jenny was already out the door. Yes. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, the story is not over yet. My favorite part is coming. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that you felt bad. You felt embarrassed and yeah. you finally convinced yourself like, Oh, well, you know, this is, yeah. The Jane was only half full. Like I'm Jane never consoled me. And I said, I feel so bad. She goes, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. There was no one we knew. It was just a r- room full of strangers. <laughs> and then was it the next day or later that night? Later that night, later that night, our friend Kyle Anderson from nerdist.com texted Tyler. Hey, thanks for confronting those kids. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh no, <laughs> And so I called him and I was like, Hey, I, I feel really bad. He goes, Hey, uh, they didn't do anything after that. Oh really? So, yeah. It worked. You know. Um, so yeah, to me that I'm completely on your side, this kid, because you introduced the, the possibility yeah. of a, of a mental disability or mental illness. Uh, I, I feel, and frankly, it could have also just been basic social awkwardness that you occasionally run into in, in our crowd. Uh-huh. And that's, yeah. that's less for, it's less forgivable. But again, I should have started. I think if I had simply said in a, in a, in a stern voice, Hey, sorry guys, but can you please, or not guys, it was just one guy, but like, I'm sorry, but can you please be quiet? I, I think that probably would have, 
Hey, what are you doing with your iPhone there? Nothing. Did I? <laughs> uh, we should. Uh, what? Le- no. Let's get back to the show. <laughs> what the hell is going on say? here? I guess I said something that uh, that my phone thought meant I was talking to it. Um, okay, so. Deadpool, which, by the way, it's entirely possible that I will at some point say Deadwood. Um, It's been happening for a week. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Did you see the first one? No. Okay. Um, I liked the first one. I thought it was very good in in a lot of ways. Um, I was worried about the second one because it's just like, oh, good. So it's meta commentary and it's a sequel built on success. It's like this could be a level of smug that is just too much for me. Um, but I think they do a, a great job with the film and they do something that is very difficult to do. And that is, you know, Deadpool is constantly looking at the screen, talking, uh, talking to us, talking about the X-Men films in general, talking about the DC universe, just these little, these little quips here and there. And then, but then getting back into the, the, the story and somehow I don't know they don't lose any of the stakes of the story Mm -hmm. the like the the emotional engagement of the audience is still 100% I still care about what happens I care about the characters that are introduced I care about the relationships I think the action is really solid even in the midst of these crazy asides that no superhero movies do and very few movies in general do. Um, and, and it's, it really is a writing achievement and an achievement of Ryan Reynolds who actually has a writing credit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I knew that, that he just seems to understand this character, both clearly how to write him and how to play him both in the asides and when he's actually dealing with the real life stakes, um, it's a, it really is uh, remarkable in that regard. Um, the, the action, uh, is a lot of fun. They, there are some really nice fake outs as far as the story. Um, they oh, set, cool. they set things up and then completely undercut them in a way that, I usually love that stuff and I did, but even I was like, wait, really? (laughs) You're not going to do that. All right. I guess good for good on you. (laughs) Um, and it's, and it's, it's the kind of film that can do that. Um, and so, and then the new cast members, you've got Josh Brolin as cable. You've got Julian was named Dennison. Uh, as the kid from Hunt for the Wilder People. Oh, right. Um, as uh, Russell. I don't know. You've got uh, Atlanta's Zazie Beats as uh, Domino. Know. Yeah. I wanted more. I wanted a bit more from her character. She's a little bit two dimensional, but the performance is, is good. Oh, good. Um, but yeah. And that's the other thing is that in the midst of this, you know, um, the cable character is not funny at all. Except, except he's. <clears throat> He'll still in the same way that like a Tommy Lee Jones can be funny while being completely deadpan. Um, and there's a, you know, there's a part where he cable is fighting Deadpool and then Deadpool says like, Oh, you're so dark. <laughs> and then he says, are you sure you're not from the DC universe? But, um, but it's, it's a, 
it's true that this character is very serious. His story is very tragic. Um, and yet they still managed to fit him in as well, which is, again, that's a function of the writing and a function of Josh Brolin's performance. And then the kid who plays Russell, anybody who's seen Hunt for the Wilder People knows that this kid is delightful. Uh-huh. And I didn't expect the kid to be this much of a character. I thought he was just going to be, frankly, kind of a MacGuffin. Right. Um, but no, he's a full-fledged character. And just uh, all around, I was very pleasantly surprised by the film. I, I went in thinking it was going to be pandering and smarmy and all of that which it is but in a way that is actually uncompromising uh so i i highly recommend it you know who i bet didn't like the movie who's that (laughs) that kid you told to shut the fuck up (laughs) well he'll never like deadpool 2 probably not even deadpool 1 anymore you've ruined them both for him you know what better him than me that's the way i look at it all right uh moving on yeah i'm a bad person all right (laughs) we all Uh, we all make mistakes yeah for sure yes uh yeah mine keep me up at night all right that kid's Um, mistake fucking with me (laughs) (laughs) uh next up i saw a documentary called that summer which uh comes out it's um, all summer for you uh, yeah that's true uh comes out tomorrow i need to finish my review tonight um uh it's i guess it's a in a way it could be seen as a prequel to gray gardens okay in that it was shot before gray gardens and is also about edith and little lady beale hmm. um uh, and in fact apparently the Maisels this is how they came to meet them so the the movie uh, is directed by goran uh, hugo olson who um he made something else um Oh, he made uh, the the Black Power mixtape. Did you ever see that movie? Uh, no, I haven't. That's good stuff. Uh, he's very good at like making whole documentaries out of like very little new material, mm. you know. Um, and this really only has new material at the beginning and end uh, as a sort of a bookend. Um, so basically, the Beals, uh, Edith and Little Edie, there they had a relative. Um, I guess Little Edie's cousin named a uh, woman named lee radzewell who was sort of uh tangentially related to the whole like warhol factory thing and so um a couple of uh and so i guess uh someone in the warhol thing had a place in montauk which is near uh, east hampton and they found out about the thing and so basically uh lee radzewell took uh, Peter Beard, who's gone on to be a, a, a photographer, and Jonas Mikas, who is sort of the uh, the guy who made all the avant-garde movies with mm-hmm. Andy Warhol, um, to go spend a few months uh, going like almost every day or uh, every week or so uh, to hang out with the Beals while their house was undergoing some mandatory like the the city was basically going to condemn the house, mm-hmm. and so the, they they had. Uh, electricians and plumbers and carpenters like in and out over the course of the summer yeah. and they're just talking about their lives and their and their house and sort of uh there's no real plot but i guess the through line is the reparation the renovations being done to the house and the <coughs> beals sort of uh adversarial relationship with east hamptons and Mm -hmm. the and the fact that no one seems to like them because they feel like they're bringing property values down Mm -hmm. with their 
rotting house with a, you know, yeah. the vegetation run amok and literally raccoons living in the roof yeah. uh, and stuff Where like Count that. Orlock clearly just, <laughs> just moved out cause it was too crappy. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, they're, and so like I said, apparently the Mazel's brothers were sort of like hired as, uh, crew, I, I guess. And then when this movie was never finished, they went back and were like, Hey, do you mind if we go hmm. hang out with them? And that's how great gardens came to be. Uh, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. And, and occasionally it's actually quite touching to sort of see them, not just as a couple of loons, but see them as like, uh, I guess tragic figures, not unlike Miss Havisham, sort of like sure. relics of the past, uh, who are still like living in this bubble that where it's still like the 1940s or whatever, yeah. uh, and not able to, to, to have a conversation with the modern world. Yeah. Uh, it's good stuff. Um, yeah. Out in limited release this weekend and, uh, more to come. Uh, and then I went home last night and I watched a real trashy fun movie okay. from 1980 called night kill. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the title has nothing. I don't understand what like it's all during the day. Uh, honestly, I don't think anyone is killed at night in oh, the boy. movie is what's funny. Um, but, uh, uh, Jacqueline Smith from Charlie's Angels mm-hmm. plays uh, a woman in a very unhappy marriage of convenience. Uh, this movie takes place uh, among the high society of Phoenix, Arizona, and was shot entirely on location in Phoenix, which the movie seems weirdly proud of because they constantly are referencing Phoenix and Arizona uh, in the movie. Did the Chamber of Commerce I know, they this have, thing? Um, so her, yeah, she and her husband are not in love. They're basically together for business and wealth purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and they hate each other and she's having an affair with her husband's like business partner. And then one day, uh, not her, not knowing of this beforehand, right in front of her, her business partner or her, her lover kills her husband. Mm. And then she sort of has to make a decision like, uh, you know, I may have hated him. I didn't want this to happen, but like, I guess I'm going to help you cover this up. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, there's some more twists where maybe the, the, the lover sort of isn't around to help her anymore for like, he skips town. He just sort of goes mm-hmm. missing. Uh, and so she kind of has to do this on her own. And then Robert Mitchum shows up as the detective investigating what he thinks is a missing person's case because the, her husband's company has said he never showed up for his business trip in Washington, DC. Uh, and so it's basically, I guess, kind of a cat and mouse, um, between this detective and this woman who's kind of like an unwitting criminal. Like she didn't yeah. like, so it's, it's a fun movie with a lot of twists. It sounds and turns. like a lot of fun. Um, Is and Mitchum yeah. awesome. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's the and person, but he's really, he's essential. but I mean, in terms of screen time, he's probably the second lead okay. because even though he doesn't show up till later in the movie, once the husband and the lover are essentially, remo- essentially removed from the movie for a long period of time, uh, it's just her and, and him. Hmm. Um, uh, it's yeah. Uh, um, I'm trying to remember. Uh, Kino Lober uh, put it out okay. um, uh, on Blu-ray, and it's a ton of fun. I really enjoyed. I, I had no. Um, I did not have high hopes. Apparently, this is a movie that uh, n- it's unrated because it never really had a real theatrical release, and ended up going mm. like straight to cable. I guess like straight to. Uh, I could see that. Uh, yeah. Um, straight to USA. Uh, yeah, uh, but it's uh, it's a really fun movie uh and i would recommend it are you reviewing it uh, i will be writing a review of it which yeah. means you have the blu-ray of it uh yeah i'll lend it to you if you all want. right yeah. that sounds great <laughs> 
Okay, so uh, it's on to television, right? So yeah. I have three things. I mean, I guess four if you want to talk about like a stand-up special, which I'm fine to not. Okay, let's not. Then um, we'll three, because I have so, two, so we'll do okay. one and one. Yeah. So one I don't want to talk much about because, you know, you're not caught up on it, which is Silicon Valley. Yeah. Um, but what I'll, what I'll say, and I'll speak in the broadest possible terms, uh, you know, a pretty consistent complaint that people have with Silicon Valley is how much, how often it will reset. Like it seems to be making progress and then everything will go back to yeah. how, how it used to be. Um, and I think that's probably, I think that's a fair complaint, but I think if we see the show as it's an ensemble, but there is one lead and it's Richard. And if we look at it, if we look at him, he is always changing. He doesn't reset his circumstances reset, but he doesn't, he learns. Yeah. And the, the, the season finale features a moment from him, a couple moments actually, where you see all of these things that he's done in the past and you feel like, okay, so he's going back to this, but he isn't, he's incorporating that into the lessons he's learned over the years to succeed or to, to connect or whatever it is. And that's the thing is I don't want to be specific, but it's, it's an interesting moment and one that is a, is a great performance moment from Thomas Middleditch, but also it really shows that, you know, whenever you're resetting the, the story, it almost seems like the writers don't have a plan. But if you look at it from a character standpoint, especially Richard, and I also think this season they've been doing some really interesting things with Guilfoyle. Um, but if you look at, Ri- at I think Richard, he's benefited from TJ Miller not being there. I yeah, think. I think yeah. probably. Um, but yeah, I think, I think Richard is always changing. If you look at him at the end of this season versus the beginning of season one, it's astonishing. Well, um, uh, not having seen the, um, the finale yet, I've seen the seven episodes preceding it. Um, yeah, I see exactly. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it feels like this is an overmade comparison these days, but I do think it, uh, there is a breaking bad comparison to be made. Sure. Um, which is this is something breaking bad used to in, in, uh, cute symbolic ways used to literalize the, the way that like, um, uh, uh, I don't know if you've heard like Walter White didn't used to cut the crust off his sandwiches, but then he killed someone who did. And then he started cutting the crust off his sandwiches mm. and then he didn't started taking his, I can't remember if he started putting ice in his drink or stopped putting ice in his drink after he killed someone who had ice in their drink. But it was a thing he would take on the traits Interesting. of the people he killed, which was a metaphor for, uh, the, the more sinister traits he was already yeah. actually taking on. But I think uh, that's very much something that, that uh, Richard has done. He's learned how to get ahead by being a bad, bad person from bad people from people or uh, people like, like Ehrlich or Gavin or people who are maybe not bad, but are like willing to skirt morality like Guilfoyle. Yeah. Um, And yeah, so that's what, that's what you're seeing. And, uh, and then he gets, I mean, this, uh, this season had the, the episode, uh, with, um, 
the uh well it was the the one with uh, fiona uh, um the second one with fiona which was so great uh (laughs) but had him literally like being punished for being nice yeah and that seems to be the message of the show is that um all of richard's brilliance which like i think the show is like never given you any reason to believe he's anything but brilliant right but all of his brilliance uh, you know, plus a dollar fifty will get you a cup of coffee. Yeah, uh, he has to learn how to be a monster as well. Uh, it's really interesting. Yeah, and it's and there's something about a comedy being willing. You don't even. I don't think you even quite realize how dark it gets until thinking back on it. In yeah. the moments, like, ha this is hilarious. Oh. You know, and I, I was. It, it's it's sad <laughs> what has happened to him, but you also realize like. Yeah, but this was the only way his vision, like he's still, there's still an idealism to him, but I think he realizes like, yeah, idealism in a buck 50 will get you a cup of coffee. I'm not going to be able to accomplish any of this great stuff if I don't learn how to play the game. Um, speaking of the darkness, I was reminded, I can't remember what it was in the last episode I watched, but there was some dark joke that reminded me of maybe my favorite dark joke on Silicon Valley, which I think was last season. And it was spoken by our friend Tobo, mm-hmm. who's, uh, the thing that at the Huli Khan river is delayed because yeah. there was ice in the loading dock. And Stephen yeah. Toblowski's like, uh, uh, or as, as Jack Barker is like, why does everyone in the state freak out when the weather gets a little bit cold? And they're like, well, the truck skidded into an electric transformer and the driver was incinerated immediately. And, and Stephen Tolosi goes, oh, well, thoughts and prayers, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. All right. Um, um, yeah. Oh, and there's there will be in the finale, there is a line said unsurprisingly by jared uh-huh. that it is so funny like listeners might be able to tell i'm a bit under the weather i laughed so hard <laughs> that i couldn't stop coughing like i was i became worried uh, that's great um but it is beautifully delivered as well so okay uh, so all right uh, i'll move on to a sad uh a sad reality, which is that the season four finale of the last man on earth is the series yeah. finale. Everyone rallied around this Brooklyn nine, nine show that I've never watched in my life. It's fine. Uh, no, no, that's not true. Actually. I watched an episode or two on an airplane once and, um, maybe it was an early one, but I was like, uh, my reaction was Andy Samberg is the least funny thing on the show in which he's nominally the lead. Yeah, I'd say that's about right. Um, but not that he's not supposed, not that he's a straight man, but like right. he was the one who was supposed to be making me laugh that it wasn't. Yeah. I was laughing at Andre Brower of constantly. Course. Yes. Um, the episode, I, I don't know what season this was from, but uh, it, Andre Brower was, I guess they were, they were trying to throw a wedding at the precinct. Mm-hmm. Andre Brower was in charge of the like balloon arch for them. To, and mm-hmm. he became like obsessed with getting the balloon arch, uh, <laughs> perfect. Uh, and it, that was all the funniest stuff. But anyway, um, I don't know. Yeah. But, and Joe Latrulio is always uh, funny. I, I enjoy him a lot. Yeah. So yeah, congrats to you guys. Brooklyn and nine got saved, but meanwhile, last man on earth, uh, is, 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 is inside the many, many characters they puff <laughs> over the course of the show. Um, feels like something like sci-fi would take up last man on earth. Yeah. I I mean, and what's interesting is apparently it was of the three shows that were canceled by Fox, which was Brooklyn and and last man on earth and the Mick Mm -hmm. last man on earth was maybe the highest rated, maybe tied with the Mick. Um, 
which I not only have never watched the Mick, I don't know anybody who's ever watched the Mick. I've yeah, never heard of it. It looked good to me, and um, I like Caitlin Olsen. Yeah, quite I like her too. Um, but I don't know if it's. It seems like, given that it's entirely, it's a single camera, entirely location show. It's probably mm-hmm. expensive. Yeah, Last yeah. on Earth is probably more expensive than Brooklyn Nine Nine, which is a yeah uh, a multi cam, right? Or is it a single cam? I but think it's, it's on set. It's on. It's definitely on a set, and I think yeah. it's single cam. Okay. Um, uh, anyway, um, and it was a, it was especially a bummer because this Last Man on Earth was uh, a really touching finale because it kind of addressed some. Uh, not gripes, but some things that I've been like, the show's going to need to address this, Hmm. Um, which is uh, the fact that like, it was funny at first that the, that all these survivors were not in any way interested in like um, creating a new way of life. They were just like eating expired stuff, picking grocery store shelves clean, drinking all the beer and wine Mm -hmm. that, that they could. Um, and I like, that was funny and almost like a weird, like dark bit of wish fulfillment in a way, you know, like, Oh, if the world were over, I could just eat, drink, eat junk food and drink beer all the time. Uh, and there was some fun to that, but like, like, uh, Tandy, Will Forte's character, um, has a line in his episode where he was like, our way of life, has a literal expiration date on it and we've passed it. Hmm. Uh, and it actually addresses like what, you know, now that these people have started having kids, there's multiple, there's right. like three kids on the show at this point. Um, even though they spent entire episodes, like I guess they're sleeping in the nursery. <laughs> like we, there's long episodes where we never see the kids. Um, but like actually addressing like, we're going to have to change things if we're going to make this a, uh, you know, if we're going to be an actual community and if we're going to raise yeah. kids this way, uh, and then it ended on a on a huge tantalizing cliffhanger that, of course, will now never get resolved unless Will Forte does some kind of like I don't know comic book series or something. Uh, it's a bummer. You never know. Like maybe they'll maybe they'll think of something. This is definitely something like Will Forte was like passionate about. Maybe yeah. he'll find some other avenue. Yeah, that would that would be nice. Um, uh, yeah. And I mean, uh, I'll miss seeing Mel Rodriguez uh, on TV every week and Kristen Schaal. And, um, as I've said many times before, January Jones has not ever been better in anything than she is Hmm. in last man on earth. And of course you've got Mary Steenburgen. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's crazy. Jason Sudeikis. I don't know if he was, uh, he was, um, a guest star a few times on the show. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think. I want to go out on something happy, but I can't really. Uh, it's just you got four seasons. Um, it's one more than yeah. Deadwood. Yeah, that's true. All right, what's next for you? All right, so uh, real quick, I'll, I, I will say that I, I've also. It's hard to say that I've been watching an, an entire TV show, but I've been watching some fun uh, Conan sketches uh, okay. on YouTube. Uh, pr- uh, mostly, there were three of them that really stuck out to me, uh, involving Butterscotch the Clown. Okay. Which, uh, when it came out, there were clowns, g- genuinely, like, there are professional clowns that were, like, protesting. Uh-huh. Like, not all clowns are scary and stuff, so they brought out... But, but so that's not for them to decide. Uh, right. right. <laughs> like, I guess if it's I more say just, clowns are scary, yeah. then clowns are scary to me. But I guess they're trying. They're coming out and saying, like, hey, we're not all scary. And she's like, yeah, it's, well, but now you're just angry. 
So uh, it seems counterintuitive, but anyway, uh, but yeah, so they bring out a, a clown named butterscotch to assure you that, uh, no, no clowns are, are really wonderful. And of, of course he's creepy as hell. And so he goes, he's like, thanks to any, and, he, and it's a wonderful, they do a wonderful voice. <clears throat> But it's like, he goes, thanks to that movie, everybody uh, freaks out every time I crawl out of the sewer. <laughs> Just, and it is uh, delightful. So uh, I believe there are three of them. So listeners, uh, uh, look up Butterscotch the Clown Conan on okay. YouTube and you'll, you'll find it. Um, okay, so obviously um, we are... Uh, I believe one episode away from the finale of this season of Survivor, which I've actually liked quite a bit. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, it's always nice when the players that you like are doing well, and uh, th- there's these, there's this guy Dom uh, and this other guy Wendell. They've been friends from the beginning. They are just destroying everyone. I mean, they're and they're, but that's the thing is they're they're also really likable. Um, they're not assholes. They try to, they don't try to be super underhanded. They're not, uh, they're not. Um, condescending or anything like they know they're in charge, but they also know that, Hey, if we do something wrong, we won't be in charge anymore. So we need to be careful and also humble. Cause I think they're also really good at managing the jury. I don't think there's anybody on the jury that would be mad at them. Um, but there is, but this guy, Dom unsurprisingly is a uh, Italian mm-hmm. and it doesn't really, not to imply that Italians are frightening, but the way in which he, he seems a little Sopranos esque in the mm-hmm. way he carries himself. Um, but it doesn't come out that much. But then there was, there's one moment where there's this one, this kid whose name is Donathan, who is this gay kid from Kentucky has like a super thick accent made and he's a bit flamboyant. So like it's a thick accent that's yeah. flamboyant. It's like I, you, every once in a while you need actual subtitles. Like they put subtitles oh, on wow. the screen. Um, and, uh, and he had not a great, I, he's very likable, but, um, but he, uh, he had a, a rough episode. Um, and so during tribal and he thought everyone was coming after him. And by the way, in, in thinking that he basically guaranteed everybody was going to, um, but, uh, during tribal, he's kind of going off and then Dom is trying to calm things down. And he says like, he's like, Donathan, can I say something? And Donathan says, no. <laughs> and he's like, okay. And so then later on, uh, Dom, uh, Dom is saying to the other people, he's like, let's just go with the plan with the, like at the hammock, the hammock plan. We're going with that, you know? And then Donathan is, is like, he's like, I don't know anything about the hammock plan. And then, and Dom's like, well, I mean, we're done talking, right? It's like, and suddenly like the Italian really uh-huh. comes out and it's like, Oh geez. And, uh, and, but it was a nice moment where it's like, Hey, I'm, uh, and it's, it shows like how, there's a little bit of, because the jury watches all of this. And so, and they're the ones deciding who wins at the end. And like, he's, he's quickly becoming one of my favorite players because he looks so, uh, he's, he's so magnanimous, but then also in that moment, he didn't let Donathan get away with, well, Hey, what about me? What about me? I was supposed to be in your, in your thing. I was supposed to be in your alliance. And now I don't know the plan. And by saying like, well, we're done, we're not talking. Right. 
he's calling attention like in this moment it's like oh Donathan's kind of playing a martyr but wait a second I tried to say something a moment ago and you didn't let me so maybe let's not act quite like this mm-hmm. it's it's some really nice management on his part um, I think he's the favorite to win he might not I don't know but uh, and listeners I, I know that only a hand, handful of you are actually interested in this but uh, it's after the ridiculous twist last season which from what I hear they're going to do the twist again this season in my opinion just so that they can say no no this is we always want to do this wait they're going to do the twist again like they did last summer it was in the winter okay but, uh, I hate you <laughs> so much but you know what you're all right, all right. Um, and so uh, but yeah it like last season they the twist left a really bad taste in my mouth and then yeah. um and apparently they're going to do it again but this time them doing it is not going to seem like clearly the producers just wanted an outcome mm-hmm. and they were going to do anything they could to get it so uh so yeah uh, unsurprisingly i'm i'm back on board with survivor they did announce uh i i, I don't know if they announced it or they leaked it that uh that the the theme for next season is uh, uh, David and Goliath. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'm intrigued. It's going to be people who were eliminated first versus winners. Oh, people have wanted that for a long time. Yeah. No, I think it's, I I think they're all new players. Oh, okay. And I think it might be like people that either like in life, they have like a low station or whatever, or it could be people that, are really str- physically powerful and people that aren't and part of me is just like okay. Goliath wins on survivor. Uh-huh. So th- this might not be that interesting anyway. Sorry. Move on. All right. We can um, on. last for me, uh, I finished this season of Atlanta. Okay. Which is, um, uh, it's, it's one of the best things going. Um, I forget. Did you watch the first season? I watched the first few episodes. Okay. Uh, the second season is even, even better than the first season because it's become even less of a straightforward show. Mm. Um, it's basically like I've often said, I've always said my favorite type of serialized television storytelling is the thing where each episode has a story or an arc that stands on its own, but it's part of a greater continuum, Mm. you know, and that goes for very clear, monster of the week type stuff like Buffy the vampire slayer or stuff that people think of as being overly serialized like the Sopranos, which actually, um, if you, I, I think compared to how thing, things like the wire and then especially like game of Thrones have come around now, Sopranos seems like a bunch of short stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so Atlanta has taken that method of storytelling to its extreme where it's so a series of short stories that you, uh, many people have said this, but you literally have no idea what the show is going to be week to week when you turn it on. Hmm. Um, and I, and I, and I love that. You don't know who the star of the show is going to be. There's four, there's Ern, Al, Darius and van mm-hmm. and any one of them could be the star. Um, and some of them might not appear or there was, uh, did you hear about Teddy Perkins? The episode Teddy Perkins that made a lot of, uh, no, I they guess did not. an entire, it's, I think it runs about 40 minutes, uh, with no commercials. Um, uh, which, um, uh, notwithstanding the fact that it's actually 40 minutes and a half an hour, Steven Soderbergh said it was the greatest half hour of television you've ever seen. Um, and, and he didn't like that last act. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
in which technically Ern and Al show up for one brief scene, very brief scene, but really it's just Darius and another character also played by Donald Glover hmm. the entire scene. And it, like this shows a comedy <coughs> nominally, but this is essentially a horror. This, this hmm. episode is essentially a horror story um, where Darius goes to pick up a, a keyboard or a piano or something that he bought off of Craigslist. And he goes to pick up at a creepy house and ends up kind of getting like stuck in this house. That's hmm. incredibly creepy. Uh, and, and then you've got the, uh, the 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 van there they seem to do one standalone van episode each each season last last year it was called value which was maybe my favorite episode of season one mm-hmm. uh this year it was uh she was at a new year's eve party at drake's house but drake wasn't there um uh what the hell is going on outside oh sorry that's it's, uh that's the sunday truck it's driving me crazy oh yeah that's what they do I, the listeners probably can't hear it but it's like it's very frustrating it's it's like a form of torture. Yeah, it's because it's not joyous. <laughs> no, it's just you. When you imagine that, like a truck, <laughs> it's ice cream truck coming down the street, <laughs> street is like, come on, kids, there's ice cream. This is saying, stay away. <laughs> this is <laughs> this is like I imagine. <laughs> this is like the bad guy riding into town on the horse, and everyone like locking the doors and closing the <laughs> the shutters. It's just a really monotonous and like weirdly long paced, like paced out. Yeah. Ding. This sounds like a fucking horror movie. Maybe this isn't talking about this scary episode of Atlanta, but I mean, it's, I hate this. They're delicious. They're, they're Sundays. Yeah. I can't stand this sound. Uh, this is really getting on my skin anyway. Uh, anyway, um, I, I, I completely lost my train of thought, but Atlanta is a, a really wonderful show. And, uh, they did an episode this season. I, 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 so I bring up Teddy Perkins cause it's a, an example of the crazy things they do. But also I think most people are considering it their favorite, but I think to go back to the Sopranos comparison, there's an episode called North of the border, which was the third to last episode, I think, hmm. um, uh, in which, um, uh, I don't think Van's in it at all, but uh, Al and Darius and Ern and Tracy, who's a new character this season, go up to a uh, rural upstate Georgia college to do a show, and they get into a bunch of trouble and shenanigans up there. Um, is it yeah. on their? Is it on its second season already? Yeah, Damn. already. They took an entire year off. It's been two oh, years right. since like, the first that, season. Ended. Even, even more so, like because <laughs> the first season aired in 2016. Okay, I guess now that's... it's 2018. I guess that's right. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, this always happens with TV shows for me, especially ones that I'm not watching. Uh-huh. Uh, to me, Atlanta like just started. No. Yeah. That happened. That's like getting older too, is when someone like there, there are things that came out like since I've moved to Los Angeles that I now see people like younger people be like, Oh yeah, I, I watched that movie as a kid. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Oh yes. Yes. Like, you know, uh, the dark Knight's 10 years, 10 years old. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah. And it's, it's not one of those things where it's like, like, Oh, I'm, I'm feeling old, but it does just feel more than anything. And this is something that, that actually came up during our, uh, our Harry Potter commentary, because one of the, uh, commentators is actually a, a student, a former student of mine named er- uh, Jeremy, who actually has written a couple things on the website. Um, who is, he's 20. Mm-hmm. So he's 16 years younger than I am. And so what are the Harry Potter movies 
you know, for us, they started when we were in college, you know? Yeah. yeah. And they are something that we only ever watched as, a, as adults, you know, and admittedly I hadn't even read the books, but it's, it's always interesting more than anything. It's just, there was a while when you and I were like the youngest pop culture generation. And now there are probably two or three more under us who experience movies in a completely different yeah. way. Yeah. I think about it with music too. Like, um, when I was in high school, my friends and I liked to listen to like eighties new wave mm-hmm. and we felt this was like the mid nineties mid yeah. to late nineties. And we felt like we were, we were being super retro. Yeah. Whereas now like the strokes is this, it is older than the music that I was listening to. Like it's older than, than, than like the psychedelic furs or whatever were when mm-hmm. I was in high school. And so, um, like that, that, that the strokes and that whole, like, early 2000s New York scene seems so much more recent to me because time just passes faster now. And, you know, as I was, uh, so I, when I drive for Lyft, I have this five hour playlist that I just put together and I put on shuffle and there's some Nirvana on there. And I remember there was a, a moment when, and there are some people that when Nirvana comes on, they actually say, Oh, turn it up. But then there was, there was one time when uh, it was a younger person in the car and Nirvana came on and they said, uh, it was at that moment that he asked, can we listen to what's on my phone? Uh Um, And I was like, yeah, I guess so. And in my mind I thought, Hey, it's, it's Nirvana. Like who doesn't like Nirvana? And then I thought, Oh, that band where the lead singer killed himself almost 25 years ago. (laughs) That is not, yeah, that is, it's not essential. For a yeah. good number of people, it doesn't have the weight for a good number of people that it did for us. And I don't, I don't condemn that person. Why would I? Yeah, um, that's the stuff. Yeah, when it comes to cultural touchstones, that's the that's the only time that I feel. Old. When when people do like the cute little like I saw one recently like Ralph Macchio is older now than Pat Morita was in Karate Kid. Yeah, like that stuff. It's like yeah, that's how time works. That <laughs> that that stuff never makes it sink into me. But it is yeah when when stuff that seems recent to me is no longer relevant yeah. <laughs> to younger people when it seems recent and it maybe even still has a, a slight sting to it. Like Phil Hartman is one and he's mm-hmm. been gone for 20 years at yeah. this point. Yeah. And what's more is there probably are young film fans, young TV fans who are aware, who will watch those early Simpsons episodes and, and think, Oh, here's Troy McClure. What happened to that guy? Oh, uh, that happened. And, but then like, okay, well maybe they will, they'll find him through SNL or maybe news radio. I don't know. That's not necessarily seen as an, an essential show, which is too bad given that, um, speaking of Atlanta, there's a connection. Paul Sims is one of the producers mm. of Atlanta and he was the, the creator of news radio. So he's still out there making great stuff. Yeah. And, and really kind of not necessarily sub, I won't say subversive, but certainly different. And, and yeah. And so I just wonder if not even if I just, I have to assume that for younger generations, it's not that they don't care about Phil Hartman. It's just that it doesn't mean anything to that. He died certainly younger than he was supposed to, but also just so tragically, Mm -hmm. um, as opposed to, well, he's just a guy that died. You know, I am, I can be sad that John Lennon was killed, 
but it will not have the impact for me that it did for my parents. Right, right. So Okay, anyway, so okay. back to Atlanta real quick. I just want to mention my favorite episode was uh, called North of the Border. Um, and it was the exact, the perfect example of the thing. It's like, it has a little, like, uh, it's like, Oh, they get into some shenanigans, uh, on this trip. Uh, and that's the story in the episode, but it also ends up being the culmination, uh, or at least a tipping point for things that the show has been setting up episode by episode within characters for the entire season hmm. leading up to that. It felt North of the border felt mo not in terms of content, but in terms of like method of storytelling, uh, it felt most like a Sopranos episode uh, of um, not only any episode of Atlanta, but almost any episode of anything that I've seen. Interesting. Uh, yeah, that was my favorite. And also had the the most sustained laugh that I've had for the entire, for all of Atlanta, which was not even a written joke. It's in the cut and the, uh, the editing, which is a, sm- a smash cut to... Al and Ern smoking weed on the couch at a frat house in front of an enormous Confederate flag. I have seen that image. But then, I don't know if you've seen the next image, before I can even stop laughing at that, it does another wider, like, jump cut out, Mm -hmm. and you realize, oh, they're pledging hazes, and there's a bunch of completely nude freshmen with bags over their head kneeling in front of them while they're just getting high on the couch. And I laugh for, like, at least, like, 40 seconds straight. (laughs) All right. Well, get ready. Because I think the Silicon Valley thing is going to make you laugh really hard. Okay. So the reason that I have not been watching anything, really, is because I got sucked into this show on A&E called Leah Remini, Scientology, and the Aftermath. See, I haven't watched that. You know what I have been watching? What's that? Because I have DirecTV. The Scientology channel. <laughs> Scientology has oh, its own channel on DirecTV now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I saw an ad for it, and I was like, well, that I'm definitely going yeah, like, to kill some time watching it. It's like, get to know a Scientologist, or like a tour of their like crazy huge cruise ship that I'm sure like most Scientologists will never breathe on unless they're being you know forced to clean it. <laughs> yeah, if and they should be thrilled that yeah. they won't be on there. Um, yeah, it's... Uh, uh, you know, I've, I, I remember watching Going Clear and years ago reading that long Paul Haggis article. Like, I never this read is, that. And there's that South Park episode. This is nothing I remember new. when it was still considered so dangerous to go after Scientology that the place to go to find, like, exposés on Scientology was at, like, Rotten.com. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, Rotten was like... Rotten, yeah. Oh, yeah, we've talked about it before. Um yeah, Rotten was like the only place that had the the balls to talk about uh, yeah. what people had been, uh, you know, what people who had escaped Scientology were yeah. saying was going on. That was the yeah the first I ever heard <coughs> about Scientology being anything other than just uh, a weird religion that charged you a lot of money uh, was Rotten dot com. So as much as that is a juvenile or was a juvenile website yeah. that uh, mostly had no reason to exist. Uh, it weirdly meant a lot to me for a time. Sure. Rotten. Sure. Stuff that I would, I'm way too squeamish to look at now. Uh, yeah, but that I was would, too much for me, even at the time. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yeah. And, and there, I mean, there have been exposés like often in books and articles, um, since the seventies, uh, even the sixties. See, that's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I wonder if there was, if it was okay then, it, like at what point, in like the nineties and early two thousands, did they become so powerful that it seemed like 
it was hard to say anything. Well, David Miscavige took over in the mid eighties. Okay. So that's what happened. And, and so it wasn't until Hubbard's, Hubbard's still, I mean the, the authors of those books in the sixties and seventies, like, Oh, they still got the treatment mm-hmm. like everybody else. What's called fair gaming. Um, but when David Miscavige took over, I, it, it's fascinating to watch this. If you're familiar and I don't claim to be an expert, but I'm fairly familiar with Soviet Russia it's astonishing <laughs> how close it is. They're like, you got your Lenin, you definitely have your Stalin, and the way that he came into power. But then even there's, you hear these stories about, because uh, there's what's called the Sea Org. They're like the highest, yeah. the highest uh, level. You sign a billion year contract and all that. Um, and there are stories of child molestation, and then the the kid goes to somebody within the the church and says, oh, I, this person molested me and they would say well surely they wouldn't they're a sea org member mm-hmm. and that's exactly what they would do in common in soviet russia they'd say well no they're a party member like i mean ostensibly everybody was but like they're like in the government you if anything you have sealed your own fate by saying something but certainly at the very least they're not going to be brought to justice um and it's it's just really fascinating the way that that worked but yeah david miscavige is is a real uh, monster and yeah. and things definitely he's a little monster yeah it's kind of adorable mm-hmm. um, but uh, but yeah and so I do think that when he took over which is I think like 86 so yeah and then they really started focusing on like celebrities really grooming people really bringing in money and he really worked on the tax exemption Oh, right. And then eventually they got tax exempt. So now they get even more money, right. uh, which means that's more money that they can put into attacking critics. Um, yeah. And it's just fascinating because a big part of a big part of, of churches or religions getting tax exemption is they will do something with that money that the government or that the public would have wanted to do in their own, in some way, you know, putting like, you know, my, my old church that I was a part of had a fairly substantial homeless ministry. Hmm. Um, and so it's like, okay, well that's helping the community. And so what would happen is Scientology would put in money to building churches and centers to help drug addicts and stuff like that. And they would do that so that they wouldn't lose their tax exemption. Those buildings are empty, Hmm. like uh, completely empty. There's not even any staff there, much less, regular people wanting help it's it is a fascinating uh show because it's just every every episode they talk to like a different person uh that was in the church either high up or just members uh and you know and i'll say this that this is this is something that happened when i saw going clear that it's very easy to look at Scientology and say, oh my gosh, what a crazy thing. But when you're a person of faith, hopefully it should make you look at yourself and say like, okay, well, hang on. Is my religion, uh, does it sound this crazy? Does it, is it this destructive? You know? Um, and what I'll say is that, I mean, obviously, and I might feel differently if I were Catholic, because in the Protestant world, especially American Protestantism, well, we're not organized enough to do anything. <laughs> like, if there's the slightest disagreement, people will just go and start their own denom- denomination, much less their church. They'll just start up 
a, mm-hmm. a new one, you know? And it's like, okay, all right, I guess they're doing that now. Um, but what I'll say is a, a thing that I remember an old Ray Romano joke. You remember Alestra like that, uh, that stuff that, that like preservative that was, uh, that they made like potato chips with okay. that caused like horrible, oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. explosive <laughs> diarrhea. Uh-huh. And so he, I remember Ray Romano was, uh, doing a, a bit on like Letterman or something. And he was describing Alestra and he's like, finally a product that, that, that tobacco industries can look at and say, well, look, at least we're not that. <laughs> and that's, and it's like, you know, I am very critical of the American Christian church and how often we tend to lose our way and focus on things that I genuinely think Jesus would not be that interested in. Um, and certainly striking a tone that he would not strike, for example, yelling at someone to shut up, shut the fuck up in a movie theater. Um, you know, uh, but at the very least, and they, and they actually met, they talked to Lawrence, Wright, The guy who wrote going clear. Um, and a thing that he always goes back to is like, what is the difference between a religion and a cult? You know, some people would say there is no difference. And it's like a religion. If you talk to someone in the religion for two minutes and ask them, what is the core of your belief? They'll tell you, uh-huh. they'll give you, they'll give you uh-huh. the book that says it and they will do everything that they will be actually very open about what their belief system is. A cult will usually bring you in with all kinds of promises about the effect Um, and then get you paying money. And then by the time they reveal what's at the core, you have spent a lot of money, a lot of time, and you've made a lot of connections. You've you've established a lot of relationships that if you were to leave, you are now abandoning all of these things. And it's, it's very insidious and it's, it's a very interesting, you know, don't get me wrong. Obviously Christianity has done all kinds of terrible things and, and continues to. Um, but what's, what's interesting is that in my opinion, if you go back to the teachings of Jesus, it will actually refute a lot of what the church does. If you go back to the teachings of L Ron Hubbard, it's just like, Nope, this is it. This is absolutely what he thinks needs to happen. And so we'll I give think, him another couple thousand years. We'll, we'll get there. Um, but that's the other thing is like, the, there's just so much, it's so PR heavy, the church, uh, church of Scientology. Like they, they have their own members believing like, Hey, we get like, our church is growing by like 5 million people a year. Meanwhile, I mean, they're not bringing in anybody new they have maybe 50,000 people worldwide and, and it's shrinking Hmm. as people die, as people leave and they're just not replacing it with any, with anybody. That's why they have all these buildings. And so what they'll do is they'll, they'll say like, it is growing by this much. It's like, well, it is growing as far as, you know, land mass or whatever Uh you want to say, or uh, real estate, but it's not actually growing as far as membership. Um, It's a fascinating uh, it's a fascinating show that I think is done. I think by focusing primarily on the stories of ex members, I think they managed to avoid the inherent tabloid that I think Alex Gibney was not able to unsurprisingly was not able to avoid. Yeah. With I don't going think he clear. was trying to get out Probably of the way. Probably not. No, no. I, I like going clear, but yeah. I do too. Um, it's, you know, but when he's incorporating, you know, Thurum and music, it's like, come on, man. <laughs> right. You know? So, uh, <clears throat> yeah. You know, I live like a block from the, the church of the, the Scientology church of the Valley. Like their, I know that Valley, uh, that used to be, I believe a Baptist church that Jen and I went to one. Oh week. really? Yeah. 
yeah, as long as I lived there, it was owned by Scientologists, but I think it was, I don't know if it was fully empty, but it was not. Yeah. The only, for, but yeah, a couple years like ago, two they, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. They now it's, uh, definitely a hub. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Do you know, are you friends with any Scientologists? I do know a couple. Yes. I know one. Yeah. And it seems like a normal person. Right. That's, and that's the thing is like, as far as the, the membership, like so many of these stories tend to be like, once you commit to Scientology and you actually want to do something even slightly higher, not about status, but you yeah. want to, it's like, I really want to want to, you know, it's done so much for me. I want to do something for it. That's like the worst thing you can do because once you're that level of committed, mm-hmm. the stuff that they will have you do is really horrendous. But there are some people, I mean, we think of everyone as being dupes, but some people were like born into it. Which yeah. I think that's how like, cause Beck is a Scientologist, the, the, yeah. the musician, I think just cause it's his mom was. Yeah. That happens a lot. And that's, and that's a really, and it's a really sad thing is because like one of the, so, uh, uh, Leah Remini uh, basically hosts it with this guy who's like the former official spokesperson named Mike Rinder. And I mean, he was responsible for doing all kinds of terrible shit. And, but he says like the thing that he most regrets is that he, uh, he was, his whole family was, mm. was, uh, in Scientology and he and his wife had two, chi- had two or three, I don't remember two or three children. Uh, and when he left Scientology, like they stayed and he didn't really have the option of bringing them with him. And now they just hate him and wow. they, and he doesn't, he can't talk to them. And so he's like, he goes, I feel bad that I can't talk to them, but I also feel like I brought them into this and now they don't want to leave. They can't leave. And it's a, it's what, on top what, of everything uh, else. It's very, it's very tragic. What network is this on? Uh, A&E, but yeah. it's, it's available on Hulu. Yeah. This is like, I guess that's what I'm talking about is that it feels like there was a time 15 or 20 years ago where a, someone like A&E or Hulu, which didn't exist, mm-hmm. wouldn't have taken the risk of airing something like this. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I think that the church is losing its yeah. power. And one of the things that they talk about is that, you know, at this point, if <clears throat> let's say, let's say the church wanted to smear you or mm-hmm. me. And so they do the thing they always do. They send a, they send letters to your employer. They, you know, oh, right. Yeah your employer at this point, everybody knows what they do. Your employer would be like, Oh yeah, I I don't believe this. Yeah. You know? Right. But they keep doing it. And one of the things they say, it's like they do it because it's what Hubbard said to do. He never talked about, Hey, when this stops working, do something else Uh because he assumed it would always work. Um, and, but they just keep doing what they always, and the, and somebody said the thing that it does best is makes enemies. And I mean, it, it certainly declares people enemies, but it also makes enemies. And at this point, Nobody takes it seriously, even it's the cult who cried wolf. No question about it. Yeah, it's it's uh, I'm I'm very happy I'm watching it. Of course, it's also very frustrating and very sad and I might need to take a break, uh, but it's uh, it's it's worth watching.